we're going to read the scripture. And usually I ask you to stand up for the reading of the scripture. And so why don't you go ahead and stand, and those of you who are still standing, stay standing, and we'll read the scripture, and then we'll just jump into everything, feet first, head first, whatever, all right? So our scripture today is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's six verses, one through six. Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am at present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Father, thank you for your word. Father, may you bring glory to yourself through the reading and through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Apostle Paul, quite a guy. I don't know... Let me just put it like this. I know I couldn't stand and can't stand, and none of us can, in the presence of God. We will be falling on our face in praise and adoration. And I, I get, you know, some people have lots of questions. You know, I did a, a funeral the other day, sat Friday, and uh, talked to some people that just don't get it. They don't understand. I've got a lot of questions for God. And it was a two-year-old baby that, that passed away. And how can God let that thing happen? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Well, guess what? I understand, because I don't understand that either. I get their questions. And some people say, well, when I get to heaven, and I guess for some of them the question is, if I get to heaven, because they are not sure that God even exists, okay? So when they say, if I get to heaven, or I've got a lot of questions for God, and I'm thinking, ah, it's not going to happen. I love the song, How Great Thou Art. Guess what's going to happen when we get there? We're going to be on our knees and on our face. And every question that we have right now is going to go, all gone. We're not, and some of them will have answers to, and some of them they'll just disappear like the morning mist or like the morning fog because they won't matter anymore. Okay? And all our sorrow and all our tears will be gone. And there's really one good reason for that because we'll be in the presence of God. And so I don't, I, I you know, I've been through those things. I've, there's a lot of questions I wish I had answers for, but I'm not going to. And I have to just come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter. It might matter to me right now, but in light of all eternity, it doesn't matter. So anyway, I know I couldn't stand in the presence of God. I'm going to be on my face. I'm not sure that I could even stand in the presence of Paul. You think about Paul. And some people think Paul is this really harsh, mean, grumpy old man. And I don't know, I think, you know, that's my goal, by the way. You know, when I hit 80 and 90, that's what I want to be. Uh, <laughs> mean, harsh, grumpy old man. And my wife's over there going, don't you even, uh-uh, that's not happening. But Paul wasn't really like that. He wasn't really a harsh, mean, grumpy old man. And we're going to see that through this. And we're going to see what his goal was, okay? Um, the title I've given this is Bold for Your Sake. 
The Apostle Paul doesn't want to be strong and, 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 and pushy and uh, angry even at them. He wants to be gentle and meek. In fact, that's how he says he's going to come to them. Because what's the best way to win people to your side? Guess what? Kindness and gentleness. Convincing them of, of their wrong and the error of their way. And you know what? It's one thing to convince somebody that they're wrong. That doesn't do a whole lot. You've got to convince them that you're right. Okay? And that's part of what Paul was working on doing. And that's why he wrote these letters. And that's why Paul wrote the letters in a, you know, harsh letters, difficult letters. Repent. This is wrong. Fix it. This is wrong. Fix it. Do this. Get this ready. Stop doing this. You've got to deal with that sinner in your midst. And he was being harsh in the letters so that when he went to them, finally, he could come to them in meekness and gentleness. I'm not sure I could stand in his presence. Such a, a lofty, um, deep thinking. Missionary, Christ follower, theologian. But when he writes this, he doesn't have anybody else standing in his presence. The Apostle Paul writes this chapter, Now I, Paul. You know who is with him? Who he normally includes in the letters? Timothy, Silas, and some of his other uh, other co-workers didn't include any of them in here. He takes them completely out of the picture because this is him. He's dealing with this. I, Paul. Now, I got to show you this. I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. All right, first of all, when you take Timothy out of it and you say, am pleading with you, there's really not in that. That's a very strong statement, Okay. I was going to say there's not a lot of gentleness and meekness in that statement. I, Paul, am pleading with you. This is the idea that he is urging them, that he's exhorting them, that he is showing them, again, the error of their way, and he's trying to show them that what he has taught them from the beginning of his, um, of his time with them to this time is the true gospel. He wants them to get rid of those, in, I love that word, interlopers. I think I'm going to write a newsletter article, and it's just going to be called Interlopers, just because I love the word. He wants to show them that those guys that came in from the outside that are teaching them that Paul is a nobody and a nothing, and that he's not really an apostle of, of Jesus Christ, that they are the ones leading them astray, and that what he has been teaching them from the beginning is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, listen, I, Paul, he takes Timothy and everybody else out of the picture. He wants them to know that this is from him. There's not a committee that got together to write this part of the letter. Okay? This is from Paul, which ultimately is from God. I, Paul, myself. I, Paul, myself. He could have left out that word. I, Paul, am pleading with you. You, you, you know why he put that word in there? Or at least theologians believe why, that this is why. It's added emphasis to I, Paul. I, Paul, myself. Somebody didn't tell me to write this other than God. This is me. I'm writing this. I want you to know that this is from me. It's from my heart. I am pleading with you. I'm begging you. I'm beseeching you. There's two things that we can look at, at, at this, two ideas with this word pleading. First of all, it's the idea of he's on his knees begging them. Because what he wants them to see and what he wants them to do and what he wants them to learn and how he wants them to change is so important that he's willing to Lower himself to begging them to change. Please don't continue in the way you've, you're, you're going. 
please don't let this test guide you. Please don't let anybody take you and, and, and pull you astray. Please. But it's not just that idea of, 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 um, of pleading on his knees. There's another side to that. This is a very gentle and meek side. He's begging them. There's another side to that. He's got a stick. Maybe not a very big one. Maybe a gavel. I don't know what you want to call it. But he is strong and he is, he is vehement about this. So there's two, two sides. This coin of, of pleading has two sides. All right? This idea of begging them and this idea of strongly convincing them that they need to change, that their direction is wrong, that accepting these interlopers as apostles of Jesus Christ and not accepting him as an apostle of Jesus Christ is one of the greatest errors they have ever committed in their life. And so he says, I, Paul, I'm pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. So far, the way he has attacked this portion is not meek and it is not gentle. Okay? It's very forceful, very strong. Meekness, though, is a word that means moderation. It was used in classical literature for a calm and soothing disposition. This calm and soothing disposition contrasted with rage and savagery. It implies... um, Moderation and reconciliation, it's, it, it's the idea of being slow to anger. I don't know about you, but that's tough for me. I, um, I am old, but once I was young. And some of you are going, oh, Curtis, you're not old yet. <laughs> and one day I really will be old. But I remember when I was a youth, I was going to Tabernacle Baptist Church in Decatur, Illinois, and we had a nice youth group. We had a recreation group, okay? It was, it was planned and organized and led by a David Kaler. David was a great guy. David, uh, still is, by the way, um, was our royal ambassador leader, okay? But he also organized the Recreation League, and they paid him a dollar a year. He got rich by that. Um, but in order... <laughs> There was reasons for that from IBSA. They had to pay him something, so they paid him a dollar a year, and he always gave it back in the offering plate. He organized softball teams, and we had great teams after about eight years. When we first started, we were terrible. I mean, and, 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 and of course, the youth, we didn't, I mean, we knew how to put a glove on, and we knew how to throw a ball, but that was about all, and we didn't always know how to throw the ball where it was supposed to go. And so sometimes... I, w- I, I got to play outfield. Most of the time when I started, it was right field because the better people played in left and center and left center and right center. And so I would catch a ball sometimes on the fly, and I would try to throw it home, and sometimes it would go over the backboard, the backstop. Sometimes I would throw it to third base, and it would go to, to, to home plate. It's not quite that bad, but you get the idea. And so after you've made seven errors in one inning, you're a little bit angry. And I'm not angry at anybody else but myself, and I go throw rocks. Anyway, so I understand the anger. And this idea here, he says, is, and, and, and that doesn't, doesn't picture meekness, okay? It doesn't picture the meekness of Christ. And he says, I come to you um, uh, in meekness, in the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Meekness, um, it, it mellows the relations. Again, do people listen to you better when you yell at them? Or when you're calm and quiet, do they pay better attention? You know, um, and uh, and so meekness. He says, "I want to come to you in meekness." It uh, it kept the leaders of the time, the kings and and others, from 
the excesses of severity and of tyranny, and it encouraged leniency and uh, helped them to win over their adversaries. That's the meekness that he's talking about. It had a mild look and a soft voice. And, and the key to that, listen, I want you to know something here, okay? This is really cool. I, I learned something about meekness one time, and I don't know if I can give you the exact definition of meekness. Meekness is strength under control. All right? You, you can't be meek if you're not strong. You just really can't. I mean, you, in order to be meek, there has to be some strength that you're, what's the word I'm looking for, um, that you're showing self-mastery over by becoming meek. Jesus Christ was meek, yet guess who he was? God the Son. Strength under control. And so that's that word here that he's talking about. And, and the Apostle Paul says, um, now, when it comes to your meekness and gentleness, and he says, who in presence am lowly. Okay, I'm going to get to that word a little bit here. But he has talked about his meekness before uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 4. And uh, in that, he talks about a guardian, a pedagogos. Remember that guy? Okay. Um, that guy was the, um, I can't even remember the word that they use in the, in the text, but that guy was the one who would, um, he was the slave childminder. He was in Greek plays um, caricatured as harsh and, forgive me, stupid and recognizable by his rod. This is the kind of guy that, um, that often took care of Greek children, pedagogos, all right? And Paul says here that I could come to you that way. I could come to you harsh and like that. And when you go astray, I could smack you with the rod or I can come to you in meekness and gentleness like Christ did. Okay? And so um, there's all kinds of things we could say about this. Um, but Paul says, I don't want to come as the pedagogos. I want to come as that gentle father. And, um, and he says that he is their spiritual father. And as a spiritual father, he expects obedience from them. But he believes that a father's discipline of his children should be tempered by love, compassion, kindness, and patience. And that it should also emulate Christ. And he says, I want to come to you that way with the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Gentleness. This idea here is um, uh, uh, kindness, reasonableness, fairness, clemency. It uh, was an essential quality in judges of the day because justice and um, uh, mercy go hand in hand. And so um, they were expected to have this gentleness also. Um, by the way, this word gentleness is a word that's used not only here, but it's used in the scriptures talking of, can you guess? God. In all its forms, noun, adjective, and adverb, they're all applied to God uh, in the LXX to describe God's mildness and his forbearance. And so um, he is saying, this is the way I want to come to you. And, and in his teaching to them and with them earlier, they had to understand that by using these words, meekness and gentleness, and then he says, of Christ, he was connecting the way he wanted to deal with them with the way Jesus Christ deals with us. And that he wanted to do it the same way. And he says, here's how I come to you. Who in presence am lowly among you. Lowly among you. There's a, um, <laughs> that word lowly is the idea of humility, okay? All right, now Paul was uh, letting them know that, he could be bold and severe. He was bold and severe in his letters. But he, his goal was, in the letters, 
to be bold and severe enough that when he got to them in person, he could be meek and gentle. His goal um, was not to be harsh and tough and rough. His goal was to get them to make those changes, to write these letters, to get them to make those changes so that when he got to them, he could be that kind and that gentle and that meek missionary that they once knew. They argued, they complained about some things. One of the things they said was he was lowly, and that's why he puts that in this text. They complained that he was too humble. He was full of humility. And by the way, we look at humility as a positive thing. They didn't. They thought that if you're a great leader, for you to be humble and to have humility was a negative thing. It was not positive in, in their case. And so he says, who be in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. And so he wanted to come. He wanted to come in humility. Uh, you know, there's so many scriptures we could look at. In fact, I, I did something um, because I just wanted to know. And um, I, I looked up on my computer, humility and humble. Those are just the two. And one of them had like 12 and one of them had like 40. And I didn't take all of them. But for example, um, let's see. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And then, then let's see. Um, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. In James, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I mean, we, can, we could go on and on uh, and, and read more of those, but see that God honors humility, especially more than he does boastfulness and our own self-exaltation, okay? The world may not think that humility is a positive character trait, but God does. God does, and we see that evidenced and proven um, by the scriptures, and some of which I just read. So, some... <laughs> wanted Paul to be that way. You know, it's interesting to me. It, it really is. It's interesting to me. Um, what kind of preacher do you want? And I don't mean pastor. What kind of preacher do you want? You want somebody that has at least a little bit of excitement, a little bit of passion when they're preaching, right? I'm sorry, you don't have one of those. God bless you. Thank you. You see, I get excited about a lot of things, okay? I get excited about new tools. I love new tools, okay? And anytime there's a project around the house, I get a new tool. Kathy goes, it'd be a lot easier if you had this one. Sure would. And we place the order and go pick it up. I love new tools. I also love running. I get excited about running. I get excited about races. I get so excited about running and races that some of you get sick of me talking about it. Right? And that's okay. There's something else I get excited about. Okay? And, and, and I could just put this all together. I get excited about the Word of God. There's so much in here. And, 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 and I'm sorry that for so many years I didn't preach expositorily. I didn't start in one verse and go through the book. I apologize for that. Because guess what? We could have been, been I don't know, a third of the way through by now. I mean, you think about it. Somebody goes, well, I don't know what to preach. Well, start with the Bible, right? Right? Right, Phyllis, preach the word. I mean, seriously, there it is. Start somewhere in there. And, and I think, and, and I don't know that I had a, 
professor in seminary that said, here's your topic, start here. I don't know if I had one like that. You know, you, you, you learn to, to develop right topical sermons. Here's the beauty of preaching expositorily. It's topical. There are like a thousand topics in each text, okay? And I'm sure I miss most of them. But there they are. I get excited about God's Word because there's so much in here. And I'll never get through the whole thing. If I, even if I live to be 117, I won't be able to preach through this whole thing. It's not going to happen. Okay? That's why one of the reasons why I want to live so long. Another one so I can continue to irritate young people. It's all so much fun. Really. Well, great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. I want to be an irritant to as many of them as possible. There's so much in here. I am lowly, <laughs> who in presence am lowly or humble among you, but being absent and bold toward you. He's talking about this. Why? Because that's one of the accusations that they leveled at him. They, they, um, uh, they, they leveled another one at him, too, and I'll see if I can, can find this one. Um, a couple of things they said against him. One was that, uh, well, they didn't like the way he preached. He just wasn't excited. wasn't exciting. He was, and 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 he apparently he didn't follow the rules of rhetoric that they were that they understood to be good rules. Okay. By the way, when I write a sermon, used to write one, and they were topical, and my wife would go, "I don't know how you got from this point to this point." And I'm thinking it made sense to me. So here's the another beauty about preaching from verse to verse. God wrote it, and that's what I try to follow. Paul apparently uh, didn't follow the rules of rhetoric, and they didn't think he was a very good preacher. They also thought that he, um, <laughs> well, I'm just going to read to you a, a description of Paul. This comes from, and it may not be, okay, this is from the apocryphal Acts of Paul and Cephas, C-H-E-C-L-A. It's apocryphal. It's a book written by somebody, and somebody has claimed that it's scripture, but it's really not, okay? It describes Paul as, get this, small of stature with a bald head and crooked legs, in a good state of body, with, uh, and I wonder if that means cutty, okay? In a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. Full of friendliness, for now he appeared like a man, now he had the face of an angel. Uh, you know, I mean, um, I am not the most handsome man ever to stand in this pulpit. I get that, I understand, I don't have a problem. But I don't have connecting eyebrows and a hooked nose. I'm not, I am small of stature, but I'm not balding and of good um, whatever. Okay? And, and I just wonder if sometimes they thought, Paul, we can't listen to you and we can't even look at you. You know? And so there were those accusations against him. There was also the accusation that you said you were going to come to us and you didn't. That was one of the biggest ones. Okay? And, and he said, and they said, listen. We've got these guys, and I'm calling them interlopers because I love that word. These guys that have come to preach to us, and, and they're better than you. They're better speakers. They're better teachers. They're, they're uh, probably more handsome, better looking, stronger, all of those things. And, and they said uh, that they appeared to embody the, I, the apostolic ideals that Paul never did, okay, that they, that they claimed Paul lacked. They displayed a commanding spiritual presence. They spoke with more eloquence, and they <laughs> and they showed um, evidence of uh, what's that word? Divine authority. 
And when Paul was before them, they saw none of that in him. So he says, listen, I understand that's what you see. And I want to continue for you to see that. I want to come to you in meekness and in gentleness. But, verse 2, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. So he had his mind set on this. He knew that that's how they saw him, and he knew that that's how they were, how, um, how he wanted to be. He wanted to be calm and peaceful and meek and gentle and sweet and kind. And he said, listen, get these things right. Because if you don't, when I get there, I'm going to be bold toward you and toward those who are not getting this right. I'm not going to be this meek and gentle person that you've seen in the past. You've got to get this taken care of. And so and that's basically the whole, uh, the, the very first part of, of verse 2. But listen, he says then, um, I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. So there were two groups of people here, three possibly, one group that still loved Paul, that wanted to follow Paul, wanted to be obedient to Paul, and that were willing to do the things that he called them to do. There were the uh, wayward Corinthian Christians that were following the other group, the interlopers. And he's saying to all of them, get it right. Fix the problem. So that when I come to you, I don't have to be bold against some. I can be kind and meek and gentle towards all. And this some, he says, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You think about it, there are ways to fight fleshly battles. If somebody attacks me, I'm running. I mean, I'm too little to fight back, okay? I'm just going to do everything I can to get out of the way. I'm going to do everything I can to get myself to safety. Some people who are bigger and larger and, and, and stronger might be able to knock that person down and then go to safety. Me, I just got to get out of there, okay? But there are ways to fight physical battles, and guess what? There are ways to fight spiritual battles. And this battle that Paul is fighting is not a physical battle, okay? It is a spiritual battle. And he says, listen, I am going to fight this not according to the flesh. I will fight it in the flesh because until we die, we are in the flesh. We are not of the flesh or living, hopefully, walking according to the flesh, but we are in it. And he says, I have to fight it in the flesh, but I'm not going to fight it of the flesh. I'm not going to fight it in a carnal way or a fleshly way. But I'm going to fight it differently. I'm going to fight it with the weapons of our warfare that are not carnal, but are spiritual. For what? For pulling down strongholds. For casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts against itself, the no itself against the knowledge of God. And on and on. Now, he doesn't list those weapons of warfare, does he? Wouldn't it be great if he did? What are the weapons you use, Paul? Well, he doesn't list them here. But I wonder if maybe in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, 10 through 18, he lists those. He says this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle. This is important, too, OK, because we've got to see something here. They're not our enemies. Those they're not. OK, the people out there who would stand against us, who would attack us as Christians, who would attack the, the uh, Christian way and attack scriptures. 
attack Christian churches, attack pro-life people and pro-marriage people. They are not our enemies. They are being deceived and tricked by the enemy, but they are not our enemies. Okay, so he says this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul sees that even these interlopers are not his enemies. And the wayward Corinthian Christians are not his enemies. So he is not going to fight them in a fleshly way or in the flesh or of the flesh. Pardon me. He will fight them in the flesh because that's how he's living. All right. And that's how they see him. But he's not going to fight them in a carnal, fleshly way. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. I think these are some of the weapons. Most of them are defensive, by the way. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ooh, wait a minute. I wonder if we really do that like we should. I know I don't. Sure. We gird our waist with truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness, I hope. But do we shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Do we understand it? Do we read it? Do we study it? Do we know what it says? When there's a question in our life or a question in somebody else's life, do we at least have an idea of where to turn in the scripture to help them through that problem? To help them show that their way, their teaching, their beliefs, their actions are incorrect and that according to the scripture, they need to repent and change. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. There it is again, the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. I love that. Not I'm an ambassador in chains, but I love the fact that as he writes to them, he says, I'm an ambassador in chains. And here's what I want you to pray for me. Not that the chains will fall off and I will go free. Not that I will be let go, but that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, even though I am an ambassador in chains. That I, that in it, in those chains, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. I love that because all, so often we pray for all of our troubles to go away. I mean, wouldn't it be great if all of our troubles went away? Some of you are going, well, then I'd never see you again, Curtis. I might be one of your troubles. I don't know. Paul was probably one of theirs because guess what? He was under their skin, okay? And he was trying to get them to correct. Wouldn't it be great if all of our troubles went away? If, if guess what? Your water heater never died. You never had to replace it. There's never a water leak. You never had to worry about pipes freezing, even if it was down to negative 17. You never had to worry. Wouldn't that be great if you never had to worry about all those things? It's not going to happen. But sometimes that's what we want. You know, I talked to my mother the other day because, you know, she loves me. And I like to talk to her. I love her too, by the way. She's probably going to watch this later, so I've got to be careful. And I said, you know, I'm just really frustrated. And I don't remember what it was about. I don't have any idea. 
That is something that was just under my skin. And she said, well, I'll pray that that works out. But that changes. And I said, you know what? God bless you. Thanks, Mom. But why don't you pray that I'll have the strength and the power and the patience and the peace to just get through and work things out, even in the middle of all of that. I don't like trouble. I don't like confrontation. I like to walk in peace with everybody as much as I can. But in the middle of some of our troubles, all we're looking for a lot of times is to get out of that. I see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, but who are you walking past while you're in the tunnel that needs you to grab their hand and help them get out of that tunnel also? And Paul didn't pray that way. Didn't ask him to pray that way. He asked him to pray that while he's in chains, he will still be able to speak boldly about the gospel of Jesus. So now, he says this, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they are mighty in pulling down strongholds. We see maybe a possibility of what some of those weapons are in, in Ephesians uh, chapter 6 that I just read, but that may not be them at all. He doesn't list them here, he doesn't mention them here, so that may not be them, but here's what they do, they pull down strongholds. I want you to see something in this. These things here, pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Those are a picture of siege warfare. Okay? Those are how, um, how people would attack another city, how a king would go to attack a city that was um, being disobedient to the commands that they were supposed to do. If they were so supposed to be paying tribute and they weren't doing it, the king would lay siege to that city. Okay? And guess who had the greatest chance of victory in that war, in that battle? The king and his soldiers who were surrounding the city. I mean, there's lots of reasons for that. Okay? Because they could trap everybody in the city. And you know what happened a lot of times when cities were... When, when they laid siege to cities, people would starve to death. They would not have any water to drink. And if the siege landed, lasted long enough, many of them would resort to cannibalism, to eating their children and their neighbor's children because there was no food. That's the kind of thing that would happen. And the Apostle Paul in being meek and gentle, says, I'm going to lay siege to the way these people are teaching you and to the way that you're listening to these things and to the way that you're living. I'm going to lay siege to this, and I'm going to pull down these, these strongholds that are in your life. I'm going to cast down the arguments. And that idea of casting down arguments is the idea of using the mind to reason with them. Okay? It comes from the same word that logos comes from, uh, the word. Okay? Log logisomai, all right? He proposes to show boldness against those who reckon or think about things like that um, in the wrong way. Casting down arguments and every high thing, listen to this, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Remember what he was? Lowly, humble. God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Now you think about that. So if they are exalting themselves against the truth of God, he's going to pull that down. Why? Not to pull them down and to hurt them and to beat them and that kind of stuff, but why? To bring back and show the glory of God. 
to bring every thought into captivity and obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So his whole idea here, and when you think about this, you think about what is he doing? Who is he going to punish? Well, he really can't punish the interlopers because they're not a part of the church, right? If there's somebody that comes and visits here and comes a little bit um, and <coughs> and never becomes a member of this congregation or member of this church, oh, that's okay. We like to have them. But if they start speaking out against the scriptures and against the truth of the word, then something's going to have to be done. If they come in and teach in a Sunday school class or stand up in the congregation here and say something that goes opposed to the scripture, then for one thing, I'll be up here going, that's enough, sit down. That's enough, stop. That's enough, no. And eventually if they keep it up, I'll say, we love you. And you're welcome to be here as long as you do not talk that way. You can learn from us, but you're not allowed to speak. That's what you can do with them. But if they're a member of the church and they start doing that, there's church discipline that comes to affect them. But if they're not, we can't. Because they're not really under the church's authority. So he says, I'm being ready to punish all disobedience. You see, what would happen in this siege warfare is <laughs> after they won, after they won the war, after they won that battle, those that were conquered, the soldiers that were still fighting against this king, they would be the ones that would be marched in, uh, in, in that parade, okay? And that they would sometimes then be made slaves or put to death. But I want you to see the last few words here. When your obedience is fulfilled, what the Apostle Paul is trying to do through all of his harsh letters, through this, and through his visit to them eventually is to get them to fall in line with the Scriptures, to fall in line with the teachings of Christ, the gospel of peace. That's what he wants them to do. And if they do that, then their obedience has been fulfilled. And they will not be the ones that are being punished they will be the ones that continue to walk with him so we see a, a few things here first of all we see that his aim his purpose is not to destroy the people who oppose him but to destroy their arguments to prove that what he has said and the way he is living and what he has been teaching is true and is right and is um and is the way to go second uh he wants them to acknowledge the truth of the gospel that's the whole purpose here. That's what he wants them to do. He wants them to get away from what they have been taught by those interlopers. And third, he's going to punish the disobedient. Um, and when they get in line with the gospel, then they're good. He doesn't want to exercise his authority independently from the Corinthian congregation. He wants the church to be the ones that, that exercise this authority. There's a, a guy... Um, that wrote about five different methods of um, power, five different kinds of power. One of them is exploitative power, uh, threat of violence, okay, and it leaves the person, the other person, no choice but to comply. One of them is manipulative power, and it's kind of like uh, the con man, okay. Uh, the next one is competitive power, I win, you lose, that kind of power. And another one is nutrient power. I like this. I don't know where he came up with this idea. Nutrient power. It's the kind of power that we have over our children when they're little. Okay, We uh, exercise power 
to do them good. However, sometimes this power can also be misused. Anybody ever seen a helicopter parent always hovering over your kids, making sure nothing happens, right? Making sure they don't do anything wrong. And then this doesn't give us or them the opportunity, the ability to choose to do right. We just make them do right. Then there's this one, integrative power. It works with the other person to enable them to grow both spiritually and mentally. And that's what Paul is trying to get done here. And, you know, I think about this, and I look at it at the, um, the idea of a meal. You know, the Apostle Paul says, I'm giving you milk because you're not strong enough to take meat. As a pastor, what we want is for our congregation to be strong enough to eat the meat of the word. And the only way to do that is for you to learn to be here, to be in Sunday school, to be in worship, to be in the word when you're not in Sunday school and when you're not in worship, to read it, to study it, to pray over it, to know it. I don't want to have to cook every meal for you. I don't want to, and, and I don't mind cooking this one. I like this one, okay? And I don't know whether you look at this as steak and meat and potatoes or whether you look at it as, as I don't know, oatmeal. I don't know. See, and I was going to say ramen, but I like ramen and I like oatmeal, so I don't know. But it's, it, you know, it's, um, it's not your favorite meal sometimes probably. I don't know if that's how you look at it or not. I love it. I love looking into this, and I love preaching, but I don't want to cook every meal for you, and I definitely don't want to spoon feed you. I want you, and I think every pastor and Paul wanted every member of their congregation to learn to cook and to feed themselves. And so I look at all of these things, and I look at all of the stuff that we read in Ephesians 6, and I think, what a way to live. Falling in line with the scriptures, falling in line in obedience to Christ, putting on the full armor of God, recognizing that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, putting on the full armor, all of those, okay? The uh, girded our waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, guiding our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, taking the shield of faith, extinguishing the fiery darts of the wicked one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful. Praying that even when things are difficult, we're not in chains, but we, things might be difficult. Even when things are difficult, we speak boldly about this Jesus Christ who saved us as we ought to speak. I don't know if you have a New Year's resolution, but that'd be a pretty good one. To take up all of those things, to live your life that way. To make it a the contention of your life this year to live your life the way Christ calls you to. Each day, every day, each morning, every night. So I don't know what uh, God has said to you through all of this. I pray that as we live our lives this year, that we make it our goal to live the way God calls us to live, to not put up strongholds, to um, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, I don't know about you, but to me that's a difficult thing to do. Every thought, every thought. You know, 
it's easier for me to control my tongue sometimes than it is my thoughts. But I want this year for Jesus Christ to control my thoughts so that everything I think and everything I say and everything I do will bring glory to him. We're going to have a hymn of decision. I'll be at the front, and if there's some decision that you need to make, whether it's a prayer you just need to pray, whether it's somebody that that you want to come pray for, have me pray for, whether it's a decision you need to make concerning membership at Irvine Avenue Baptist Church or service, whatever it is, I'm going to be at the front to receive you uh, as we sing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. And I thank you for the fact that you give us your word, that you speak to us through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Father, may this time of decision, this time of invitation, be one of those times when you speak, when we hear, and when we answer. In Jesus' name, amen.